Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Undefined Gen, a podcast about young people doing awesome things. I'm your host, Marissa Comstock. You can find us online at theundefinedgen.com with links to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please like and comment and leave a review on iTunes. You know the drill. This week, I talked to Marika Petrie, who is a writer, actor, and director. She is also the creative director and founder of Radix Troupe, which is a mixed media theater troupe based out of Berkeley, California. They won a Best of the Bay for New Experimental Theater Troupe in 2015 and have sold out all of their shows since the beginning. Marika is super talented and involved in so many projects. She's a freelance journalist and videographer with California Magazine. She's a cellist and member of Mad Noise, a bluesy funk soul punk band that has traveled to Africa through the State Department's American Music Abroad program. She's a dancer and a singer and just recently started another band called Girl Swallows Nightingale, which will be performing next week at the premiere of Radix Troop's latest project called Zoe and the Wind-Up Boy. So this interview, first we'll talk about Zoe and the Wind-Up Boy and Radix Troop, how they operate and create projects together. Then we'll get deeper into Zoe and the Wind-Up Boy and talk about how it was filmed and the art direction. Finally, we'll talk about how Marika got into performing arts and an opportunity she recently had to shadow acclaimed director and winner of a BAFTA, Ama Asante. All right, let's get started. First, we're going to talk about Radix Troupe, which is a theater troupe that Marika founded. She's the director of their latest film and creative director at the company. Their latest project, Zoe and the Wind-Up Boy, will premiere next weekend in San Francisco, Friday and Saturday at Piano Fight. I'm going to have clips from Zoe and the Wind-Up Boy throughout the episode. Marika sent me some of the sound from the film, but I can't give you too much context because like you, I have not seen the film yet. I do know that water is an important theme and that music is part of the story. Marika did almost all the music with Mowgli. Mowgli Morial was one of my first guests on the show. He is also a talented musician and did all the sound design and production for Zoe and the Wind Up Boy. So here's the first clip. Zoe, let's seek you aren't the only one. Yes, I am. No. There's still your other one. Too small. Your wind-up boy. His heart a spool of dread. You don't believe me, but it's true. Hi, I'm Marika, and I am one of the artistic directors of Radix Troop. We will be presenting a big show this weekend that we've been working on for about two years. It has theater, film, and live music. And we're really excited about it. It's called Zoe and the Wind-Up Boy. Um, yeah, so I think to get started, you're just completely engrossed in Zoe and the Wind-Up Boy, right? So, um, do you want to talk about that project? Tell me about how that idea came to be. Um, yeah, so... Zoe and the Wind-Up Boy is um, a short film 
but it was inspired by a one-act play that was written by my co-writer Joshua Williams. Um, Josh uh, was a fellow student at Cal, but he was a grad student, I was an undergrad, and he wrote this play and casted undergraduate actors in it. And um, it's called Zoe in the Snow, and um, basically involves this character, this little girl named Zoe, and her parents, and her parents' relationship is kind of unraveling in the piece, and the way Josh um, wrote the play is that Zoe kind of takes these, like, these conversations and these arguments that happen within her family and then kind of turns it into a game, sort of to cope with it. Um, and then she has all of these kind of beautiful monologues that she goes on when she sort of just imagines, like, an alternate version of what's happening in her home. And, um... Uh, those monologues a few years after we did that play, um, I took some of those lines from the monologues and started writing just music to them. And then after one of the melodies, I just started having all these visual ideas and just decided like, damn, I should, I really have to make this into, um, a film. I want to see everything that she's describing in her monologues. And then now, two years later... Uh, we're hopefully going to show it this Friday and Saturday. You're definitely going to show it this Friday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to show which something. Way. Yeah. No, it's yeah. going to be. So yeah, long story short, it went from a play, then a few years later, the film idea kind of goes into one of the play characters' minds, and then after that, the, in 2016, um, while I was like getting into post-production for the film, um... I was writing music ideas, and then a lot of them didn't make it into the film, but they were still really cool, I thought. So then I turned those music ideas into, like, songs. Mm -hmm. And then those songs became a new band, and then that band's going to play at the show. That's awesome. Too. And can you tell me the name of the band? It's Girl Swallows Nightingale. That's right. That's such a great name. And I think I read um, about Radix that you like to start with a team of people rather than it being like the singular idea from someone and kind of let people's talents guide the project. Um, was the ultimate project like completely your vision or did it become what it was through the art that other people brought to it? Yeah, so it definitely like, um, I think it was always back and forth, like both. Like I had to come in with a strong vision to make sure people would be interested in working on a project because nobody wants to work on something if there is no like vision um, and if it's all wishy-washy. So I ugh, tried to come in with something strong, but then once we had gathered the people, it was like, sitting down with each person and being like, well, what are you personally, like, really into? Are you really into doing this or this part? Like, what would you be inspired to work on? And then letting them kind of, like, explore their ideas. And if a lot of times they come up with something way cooler than my idea, and so then run with that. So it's always this, like, balance between, like, letting people, you know, letting everybody in the group really have a creative freedom but then make me still trying to keep it within the same world because they all have to like match whatever like the designer the production designer needs to match like kind of be in the same color world as the costume people so like my my job is just to like 
kind of make sure it all stays in the same world, but then still let everybody have a lot of breathing room in like and feel like I'm not telling them what to do. We were really lucky because we have such a like so um, everybody on the production design team was just like so badass. Like we have just a, an amazing set designer slash builder and two amazing costume designers. Um, and I think all three of them had had very little film experience before but they were all just like really really um, eager to work on the project and were really experienced artists but hadn't necessarily applied them in a film sense so um, everybody the coolest thing to me about the whole project was like the last two years were kind of film school for all of us um, for most of us was like never made a longer film that wasn't on a DSLR camera um, and uh, yeah just figuring out like how to do it even I think everybody had the talent and the the like art backgrounds to be able to do everything they needed to but we all had to like trust each other to learn the next step in like making it all happen for the movie so that was really cool I think we all like learned a bunch and it wasn't just a bunch of like you know people working on something that they already knew how to do. Like we really had to figure it out because I had I didn't know what I was doing for most of the time. And then your other projects, like Awakening was was a film project or was that would you call it more of a theater project? It was like Radix always it was like a whole night. So Radix we do film, theater and music and we started out like more theater music and then for Awakening we added the sort of film element. Um, but we've always been kind of this group where we bring in artists from different genres and the way that we create work is hopefully like each kind of department or each medium inspires and contributes to the storytelling. So that it's not just the writers who determine what the story is going to be, but the writers are influenced by the acting and the actors are influenced by the costuming and the music is influencing everything too. It's not like, oh, we're just going to slap some music on top of everything. It's like the actors might take, you know, some inspiration from the music and even change what they're doing and the writers too. So that's, that's what I like. I like to keep... Uh, a, there, there's always going to be a hierarchy in which is the pro most prominent storytelling form, but I like to have all the different types of artists contribute to it and not feel like they're just, you know, something's already there and they're just putting, you know, something on top of it. I want it to be really interwoven. So yeah, Awakening, yeah, that was two years ago, I think, when we did that show. That was, um, yeah, we did three main sections. There was kind of a movement music piece and then um, a short film and then a, another move, like theater movement slash poetry Russian 20th century piece that we did. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, do you think going, uh, moving into the future, um, your projects will incorporate film a lot more heavily or will you go back to theater? Um, I mean this show is really equal parts like this mm -hmm. show is is I'd say 30 minutes play theater 30 minutes film and 30 minutes live music um, 
That's right, because you were mixing all of that in the performance in the screening on yeah. Friday and Saturday. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So the 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 film is taking up most of the actual production time, like making of, but the show is equal parts everything. Like I think Radix, we're never gonna get away from like. I don't ever want it to just be a single medium type mm -hmm. of group. Like, what's so cool when people come to our shows is they get to see this kind of multi-sensory experience. And I think the thing that connects all the pieces is always the music, because the majority of Radix are all, like, musicians, and most of them professional musicians. So the connecting through line is, like, that there's some kind of musical element that feels you know, has the same people playing or same, this, this musical thread connects all the pieces. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, maybe my personal interest is like to keep pushing myself in film more, but I love performing live in theater and I will never ever stop playing music. So, um, I think the, yeah, that's the best part of Radix is that you don't just come to see a play or just come see music or film. You get to see everything. And I and we definitely want to keep doing that. We're now going to talk more about Zoe and the Wind-Up Boy. Marika will discuss the art and sound direction as well as some of the more difficult filming locations. You know, like looking at the trailer, it just seems like there's so much interesting visual stuff happening. There's the yarn, which is in her hair, and then like the webbing of it. Um, kind of, what was your idea for like the visual aesthetic? Man, it's like it was so long ago, it's like hard for me to remember. I remember having a very clear idea about all of this. Um, well, the string comes from the play. And when you see the play, you'll see lots of string. So I took that string idea and then just expanded upon it. Like, all the elements that you see are, are all within, like, little monologue bits that are in the play. So it was basically just extrapolation and just like staying true to certain concepts. Like the string is connecting everything with string has like grown, ha is almost like her veins. Like they've just like become a part of her. Um, I don't know. Like, are, are you meaning kind of overall vision, like visual vision? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Like maybe, um, why you chose a certain colors mm, or anything like that. Okay. Yeah, so color scheme, um, when I was looking for locations, I was really looking for things that did not have a lot of green. They're all, like, kind 
kind of like Book of Eli-ish, like kind of post-apocalyptic feel. They're very um, muted colors, neutrals, tans, grays, or blacks. Um, and then that way the two main characters, Zoe and the wind-up boy, who are very clearly like blue and red, um, they really, really pop. And that was a way to like cheaply hopefully give it a more fairy tale feel because I I couldn't create like you know monsters or or um creatures with CGI I didn't wasn't able to do that so like how can I create like a fairy tale feel with the colors that I choose um and so I thought it was like kind of more simple primary colors that stand out really starkly against a kind of really neutral background has like there there's like definitely folkloric um aesthetic and also f you know we like folklore fairy tales and the fantastical but also like visually beautiful but kind of dark there's definitely like a dark undertone on like probably mm -hmm. everything radix does yeah. <laughs> something a little bit creepy for the for the sound um also going into the theme of the sound um did you have an idea from the start of how like the music was gonna bring all the elements together? Yeah, definitely. So I wrote, like I would say half of the storytelling is through the music. Well, probably for most movies, <laughs> right? Like they, that's what makes you feel anyways. But um, so you'll see that certain characters, well, all the characters kind of have um, an instrument attached to them and um, Zoe actually sometimes hears these instruments and hears these characters before they come or before you even see them. And so we really connected like the sound world to the visual, um, not just in like a picture to sound way, but in a storytelling way. So without certain sounds, like the next part of the story actually couldn't happen. And so I tried to write them into the script in that way, where like certain sounds by different characters and certain musical things, like the musical score is actually interacting with what's happening on the screen. Yeah. I'm really excited. I remember um, I took a sound class actually when I was at art school um, and I read this essay. It's by a famous director. And anyway, the essay was talking about how like you know, in filmmaking, sound is always, like, put last, and it's just, like, this thing that's slapped on top, but, like, a great film sound is thought about from the very beginning, and you're a sound designer, and people, like, won't hire those people until later, because they can't afford them for the whole time. Yeah. When it's, like, that's yeah. really hurting the story. And Yeah, Radix is all about sound. Like, our theater is about sound, too. Like, we, I think, have... I've always been really frustrated by American musicals, because you have the song section and then the dance section and then the acting section and it's like and then you seen like the orchestra in the pit and like I don't know I just I really like to have musicians up front and that the music is actually changing the way the story goes and that if you took the music out the story actually would be different and that's how the film is too it's like if we took the sounds out the script would have to change because it depends on like certain musical cues to make things move forward and two of the characters in the film play instruments too mm -hmm. so yeah they kind of speak with their instruments and um how many locations did you film on for this um so quite a few. really <laughs> yeah. yeah so we went we did like i think 
two main locations in Fort Bragg. Um, a lot of little different locations in Tahoe um, during the winter in the snow. Um, and then in a pool. So that's five. And then also, I know we did, oh yeah, and then all of the, um, in the foundry in West Berkeley. That was like the, the more industrial scenes are at this um, place, which is now shut down because there was a fire mm. on our last day of shooting. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was, it was because of After the Ghost Fire, like all of us were just very shooken up because we had spent like, Radix, like that's how we came about was we were residents and like artists and residents at this place called the Foundry for years and years, for like at least two or three years. And then, um, yeah, on our last day of shooting this film, there was a fire, an electrical fire, I think. Um, and then they, after that day, they shut down the whole building. So all the artists had to leave. And now I'm like really glad that they did that. Um, but yeah, it was kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Are you guys looking for a new location then? Um, we're, yeah, we don't have like, you know, now we have to rent rehearsal space. We don't have like a regular place that we can go to at unlimited hours. Um, we were really lucky in that we had that. Like most artists don't get, you know, just like a residency where they can come in for almost an unlimited amount for hardly any money, little to no money. So yeah, so we're grown up now. We have mm -hmm. to like, we actually have to find find something. Um, so When you uh, pay for rehearsal space, is that coming out of like crowdfunding or are you paying that out of pocket? Um, well, for this particular project, um, we did do an Indiegogo a year ago and that was awesome because we made like over our original goal amount and it's covered up till now everything on the film and most of the production that's happening this weekend so um so yeah we've been able to pay for it for this particular project like everything through crowdfunding that's fantastic yeah i'm really glad about that yeah, I mean that's a that's a huge part of doing art and yeah, it's basically half of it mm -hmm. and sometimes more. <laughs> like you spend so much time just trying to figure out like how to support the project and how to just not lose money. Um, I want to go back to your directing. Um, so you, you filmed on all these different locations. Um, was there an especially difficult set or location to film on for this project? They were all really difficult in their own way <laughs> because A, we have like a skeleton crew. Um, we don't have, you know, all the equipment that probably you'd want for the shoots that we were doing. Um, I was in water for almost, you know, for like half of the movie, like really cold water. So the hardest for me personally was the underwater in a pool. and. It's not that the location was hard, it's just that we were shooting in the water in the middle of winter in January <laughs> last year, <laughs> yeah. and um, I got really, really sick for like a whole week after that, and that was the hardest, because I had to shoot, well, Julian, our director of photography, can't swim, so he was basically, oh, I can't swim, I guess, Marika, you're going to have to shoot 
all the other characters that are underwater. And I'll just I'll just be outside like pointing the light into the water. I was like, oh great, thanks. So I had to shoot all the other characters that weren't me underwater with the GoPro. And then um, my amazing assistant director, Hannah, um, jumped in and shot all the footage of me, of my character. And so yeah, basically me and her were in and out of the water quite a lot. And I had to be in there for the most amount of time because um, I had to do my character and then shoot the other ones. So that was like really crappy for me. <laughs> but I'd say for the whole group, um, uh, shooting in the snow was really cold. It was super fun, but it was so cold. Like I have behind the scenes footage where, where Mowgli's coming up to each of us and asking how we are and like literally you can tell our faces can't move very well <laughs> like because we're trying to talk but like our cheeks like don't move properly like it looks really <laughs> strange because we're just so cold so that was really hard um you're also wearing a dress and I'm wearing a dress yeah but it was hard for everyone like that wasn't just hard for me that was hard for every single person there it was just freezing it was so cold and it was wet it was like sleet um, and then, again, like, we don't have all the equipment and the personnel we sh probably should have had, so, um, we're, like, batteries drain way faster when it's cold, and we only had money to purchase two batteries, so the pressure is on to, like, get the shot as soon, like, not do as, you know, get it in this take or get it within the next few takes. Like, we had to get them faster than normal because yeah, our batteries are draining and they take a really long time to charge. So it was like a lot of pressure there. And then, um, but it's all like real normal film life pressure that is good for me to learn because like on a really big budget film, eventually, hopefully, you know, if I ever got to do one of those, every single minute is costing your, your production like so much money so that pressure will be there for the rest of the time that I ever make film so it's not like special or anything it's just it was good for me to learn and to have that like oh oh shit we need to really get this done like now and and um and we did so and everything's a learning yeah opportunity <laughs> um and then you play the main character in the film Zoe uh, and you're also the director, so how do you balance um, staying in character on set while keeping track of what's going on? Um, it was really hard, honestly. I think um, ideally I didn't, you know, at first I really didn't want to play Zoe, and I wanted to find someone else. And I was thinking actually of my co-producer, Hannah, of having her play Zoe, and she would have been awesome. But she was traveling, and we just had different schedules, so... Um, I just decided, okay, the most convenient thing to do, because there's so many people working on this, and schedule-wise, is just, like, for me to play Zoe. So, yeah, I played her because I had to. Um, I do really enjoy acting, but I think I would prefer, you know, not to be directing and acting at the same time. But it was okay. Like, there, the pluses are it was really convenient, like, scheduling. I'm there for every shoot because I'm the director, and I'm also can just be there because I'm Zoe. So it's an extra person I don't have to worry about. Also, I knew that Zoe would have to be, like, in the ocean and, like, in the snow and climbing down things and doing kind of a lot of 
more precarious stuff and I did not have money to like pay an actor or pay for their insurance to do those kind of things so it was just like there were so many reasons to just play her myself and not have to pay someone else too so Mm -hmm. yeah so jumping back and forth I think I got the hang of it like the first shoot was so hard for me like I was like what am I doing and I was really really worried (laughs) at that point I was like oh my gosh how am I gonna do this but just push through just push through and then I think probably the second or third shoot I like got the hang of it Um, because I really really trust the DP and assistant camera and like they I trust that they'll tell me to do it again if I didn't give a truthful performance and so yeah because the first time I the first shoot I really wanted to like hop back and see and rewatch to make sure I was okay with everything but then as it went on it was like I would trust them to tell me like no you should do it again and then the flow the workflow was like a lot faster Next, Marika is going to talk about how she got into performing arts and a theater arts program that she attended in St. Petersburg, Russia, giving her the experience she needed to start Radix's troupe when she returned to the Bay Area. As far as, like, you, do you come from an artistic background? How did you um, become interested in fine arts and um, I arts? think always. Like, mm-hmm. both my parents are musicians, um, and they, like, 
played got married and played in a band together for years and stuff so there's always music in my house and then I've just always been more arts inclined than anything else like really love performing I did um, I really wanted to be a dancer for a very long time like maybe all through college um, and then something happened where I was just like I've been doing music my entire life and I yeah no I just something happened where I just felt like no I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back from dance and just like push on because you have to pull out from something you can't just like focus on everything and be really good at everything you have to like decide what are your main things and so um I just I thought as a dancer you you have to train a certain amount of hours every single day every single week and you cannot stop like you can't get away with like skipping um because your physical body like can't handle it like it needs to always be at a certain point and that kind of like limits you you can't do dance and like a million other things um in my opinion at least for me I'm sure there are dancers who are able to like juggle all those things but for me I was like I can be a musician because I've been doing it like my whole life and do a lot of other things and learn a lot of other things um because it won't it won't take up quite as much of my time as like dance life would so that's sort of why and also like you have so many talents I'm sure it's very fulfilling to be doing something where you can be learning so yeah and the, the really cool part was um I think I guess like I really like performing I really liked performing as a dancer but I didn't I really have no knack for like like natural knack for choreography and I get the most high off of like creating my own work and if I were to like keep going in dance I would have just been a performer I don't think I'd ever been able to be a choreographer and so that was like kind of the main reason I was like I feel like I do have creative, like, some creative skill at least in, like, music and visuals and stuff. But when it comes to, like, actually making movement as a choreographer, I was like, no, I don't have this. And mm -hmm. so that's, yeah. So did a lot of dancing, but then ended up doing, like, more theater and, and then the film and music. The cool thing with the film is it has everything. It has It has choreography with the camera and with the blocking of like the people in the image and I can also work with dancers and that's really awesome um and then it also has the music and it has the theatrical and the acting element so it kind of has everything that I like mm -hmm. so um so you, gra you graduated from UC Berkeley in mm -hmm. literature and performing arts and then you went and did a theater arts program in St. Petersburg mm -hmm. um how did you like what attracted you to that program what was their teaching mm. like style or um so many things like I don't know ever since I was a kid I was just I think the first time I had a history lesson in sixth or seventh grade about like Russian history and the SARS and um everything about Russia has always just fascinated me and it's I, their history is so intense and so extreme and they've always had um whether it's you know um whether it's the Tsar or the church or Stalin like there's always been a lot of tension between the arts or an artist and the state or whatever that higher power is at the time whether it's the church or the state or whatever um and I think 
because of that conflict and like the fact that for so long artists in Russia could die for what they're doing that their art is very very subversive and it's very I don't know it has so many so many layers to it that I really like and um and so I've always just yeah I was always wanted to learn more and study Russian stuff so in college I did um um Russian my focus at least in literature was like Russian 20th century literature mostly like avant-garde 20s time period um and so I got really into Chekhov, Harms, um all these kind of crazy wacky Russian poets and um so studied that stuff and then in college was taking Russian and then afterwards just was like okay I've been doing all this Russian stuff I need to just go there and um this particular school I just one of my Russian teachers gave me a little postcard that she'd gotten that was like theater in Russia and then I looked up the school and it was um it's in St. Petersburg and the names changed a bunch of times but it's called the St. Petersburg State Performing Arts Academy or something I think that's how it's translated um it's really intense there <laughs> it's like really intense it's not it was definitely one of the best things I ever did um, as far as like training in the arts goes. Um, the system they have there is you have a master and you stay with that master for all four years of your training and um, and each master has kind of a couple instructors underneath him like you know combat, dance, um, just other acting instructors too and speech instructors and things like that and so then each master has maybe a group of 20 to 30 students that stay with him for the entire four years so if you get a good master it's amazing and I did um, if you don't then it probably kind of sucks because it's kind of hard to switch into a new group but um, my master Zealand, he was so, so, so amazing. It was really intense. Like you get up and you're basically training until the master says, okay, go home. So it can be like from eight to 9 PM. And it's just like with little breaks in between. Um, but the cool part is you really like, <clears throat> you really get to know everybody in your group because you're with them for so long. And um, you become basically your own troop by the end of the period. So I was there, you know, just for half a half a term. I wasn't there for like all four years. Um, I just went there for like four or five months mm -hmm. um, and just was able, yeah, they were so welcoming and they just, I didn't speak great Russian and especially at the beginning, um, but thankfully acting like so much of it is physical and not necessarily verbal. Um, and so in all the improvisation exercises where we did have to speak like I would always play like a prostitute or like an immigrant or like, <laughs> like basically a person on the you know lower ends of society who could possibly be someone who had immigrated to Russia and was like poor and couldn't speak an elevated Russian so like when we when we improvise on like any Chekhov scenes you know, I could never play, like, the fat, the lady with the little dog. I had to play, like, all these. <laughs> but it was really awesome. It was so much fun. And, like, yeah, they were really intense. They want your soul in everything. And um, 
made us cry, made us laugh. They're not, um, yeah, they, you know, they want your soul or just like leave. Right when you came back, you founded Radix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so had Radix been something like you always knew you wanted to start a troupe like that? Was it something that you were in Russia that you felt like, oh, this is what I had to do when I come back? Yeah, no, part of the reason I went to Russia was because I wanted to start a troupe, but I didn't feel prepared. So I had already, the summer before I went to Russia, um, I had already gotten like some people together, sent out some emails, been like, I'm really, you know, and also was trying to secure a residency and a space. And um, so I was getting it all t- kind of the basics together but I personally was like I didn't feel like I had enough to offer like I didn't have enough training because part of the idea with Radix was that we were all fed up with um, how expensive training was and I knew if I pulled in other actors other performers who had different training from me they could train me and I could train them and what I was good at because I'm like a mover, my friend Eli, who's in, you know, another, um, one of the, our artistic directors, he's great with speech, and then Hannah is another great mover, like, we could all give each other workshops, and so Radix would become a kind of school, like a very small-scale school, but it would be free, and so I, when I was putting the ideas together, I was like, I really want to do this, but I don't have all the skills, and I don't have, like, the intensity of training that I need to actually start it so yeah I sent out the emails before and then I went to Russia and when I came back I felt like okay I have a lot of new information under my belt and I feel like I can give to the group a lot in a lot stronger way Finally, Marika is going to talk about being chosen to shadow acclaimed director Ama Asante. Ama invited female directors from all over the world to apply to shadow her while she was filming Where Hands Touch, which will be out later this year. You were chosen as an aspiring female director and got to yeah. understudy. Um, who is it, Ama Asante? Yeah, Ama Asante. She is a queen. She's amazing. Um... Yeah, uh, this was over, so over summer 2016, I was just on Facebook and I follow this page called Directed by Women and Women in Film, like different, you know, women in film pages, because they post a lot of opportunities, um, and Alma had posted just out of the generosity of her heart, decided, um, I'm going to bring on some female filmmakers, some like young female filmmakers on my set to watch me direct. And so she put out an application and a call like worldwide, anywhere in the world, just like apply. And if you get selected, I'll, you know, you can have a rat a week next to me on set and I'll just try and, and you can shadow me and see what you learn. 
and so I really didn't think I would get it but the very last minute I was like um, what, uh, I had a friend just like really push me, Mowgli was like, no, just do it. And I was like, no, I'm going to be applying against all these really experienced, like filmmakers, school people. And he's just like, screw it, just apply. And so I just, yeah, buckled down and did it. And then I made it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so that was really exciting. And, um, then I went to Belgium in November of last year. Um, and, uh, me and another girl um, who was selected got to shadow her for about a week's time and then um, just learn from everybody on her crew and she was amazing like she really inspired me in so many ways not just because of the practical things I learned from actually shadowing her but just that you know she's someone who's like pushed through a lot to become to get to where she is and now that she is like reaching a certain amount of success like she's won a BAFTA um and she is making these amazing films and I think it's just gonna it's just Mm -hmm. on an upward like swing and the fact that she went out of her way totally uncalled for to like try and bring up the next generation of female filmmakers was just really inspiring and I like I hope that if I'm ever in that position that I get to do the same thing to someone younger than me. Because um, it's, it's, it is really hard, guy or girl, and at, as a director, you never get to watch other people direct. You just are suddenly the director. When you're in other groups, you kind of get to be like, you know, assistant this or assistant that, but assistance to a director like assistant director or whatever they're always super busy doing what they're doing so they never actually get to like poke inside the director's brain because everyone is so busy so this was just like a once in a lifetime type of thing to get to observe her at work and she would literally like be talking to the dp or talking to all these different departments and then just turn right around to us and be like now ladies and then like she would just explain every single thought that was going through her mind and like every single decision why she did those things and it was just yeah it was kind of information and experience that it, it was so helpful i think to to all the ladies who got selected so mm-hmm. What was um what was maybe the biggest takeaway from that experience? Um, I'd say half of it was just new information, half of it was just stuff that I didn't know and um practical things like how do you how do you work and man and plan a day that has eighty extras, an eighty person crew and all this, like, everything is the same as what I'm doing on my short films, but it's just multiplied by so much more, and there's also, like, higher stakes in the money and, you know, people who are financing your film. So it's, like, a lot of stuff I just didn't know. Practical things, the smartest way to shoot scenes that have a lot of elements going on or that have stunts, like, the smartest order of things. And then the other half was just, like, encouragement, and I felt, like, okay, I've... I can do this. Like, yes, this is a way bigger scale than what I'm doing with Zoe, but everything I did with Zoe, like, I was still asking the same questions about storytelling. I was still, I still went through all the processes, and it's just a matter of making it, like, bigger and better next time. So, um, yeah, about half of it was, like, okay, like, 
I'm, I have a little bit of outsider syndrome because I'm self-taught in the most of the things that I do. And so I think like, oh, I don't have the proper training or I don't really know what I'm doing. But when I was there, I was like, oh, I've done that. I can do that. I can do this. Yeah, she was just very encouraging. And I feel like, yeah, definitely half of it was just, okay, I got this. Like, just push harder, keep going, keep doing what you're doing, and you'll be fine. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to feel like that with things where you're like, oh, I don't have this classical training, but at the same time, it's like, what it, what does that mean? Like, you know, like, you, you're you a director because you are directing. Yeah, you know, exactly. You have the practical experience, you, yeah. Yeah, and so, I, yeah, the best, that that's what this Zoe has been, is just, like, my first kind of, I guess, serious project where I really had to get a bigger group of people together and just like make a film and so now I've made one and I've like okay figured it out so hopefully the next one is I can really focus on other elements of filmmaking not just figuring out like how to make one Mm -hmm. so yeah but Alma's amazing she has a new film coming out in February and then the one that I was on set for will probably be out in a year and it's gonna be like so good like everyone was you know almost in tears for almost most of the shooting because it's just it's a very intense film but it's going to be really good and then for you do you do you have ideas for your next projects yeah I have a lot of (laughs) ideas I don't I'm trying to not think about them too much so I can just focus and get this done but I'm definitely like plunging into a couple new a couple new things Mm -hmm. I think I'd like to do a few music videos this year just like shorter um kind of crazy fun that those are some like smaller things I want to do um and then I have some yeah like film 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 ideas but I haven't written them yet they're just in my head Mm -hmm. that's a start (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you so much for sitting down with me yeah of course (laughs) thanks um those were good they were all really good questions great yeah I think so so (laughs) I'm excited for you to see it That's the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Undefined Gen, a podcast about young people doing awesome things. And I'm your host, Marissa Comstock. I hope you enjoyed listening to Marika. And I hope if you're in the area, you'll come out to see Zoe and the Wind Up Boy next weekend in San Francisco. I'll have a link on the website. Next week, I talk to my friend Juan. He is super fun and amazing. He is a software engineer at Pixar. He's working on tons of VR projects and is always trying to stay on the cutting edge of computer graphics. Okay, I will see you next week. Bye, listeners.